Right. Um, new series, as I mentioned, uh, going through the book of James. We previously went through the book of Romans, which is real kind of uh, broad breadth of the gospel, really explaining the gospel uh, through there. And so James is actually a very... Uh, makes a lot of sense for us to be going into that book next because James isn't, isn't really that explanation of the gospel. It assumes that, you, uh, that its readers have already heard and understood the gospel and in light of that, it's very much a now, in light of that, now go do. Yeah? In light of what Jesus has done at the cross, now go do. And a very accessible commentary, if you just want to read along and understand a bit more and unpack a bit more, um, is this one here by Charles Swindle. It covers a few other books as well, so three for the price of one. But do grab that um, from your, your bookseller. It's an excellent, very easy to access and read commentary. Some of them are just, just huge, thick. You know, We use them to prop up the cot when Jesse's ill. Um, but this one is very, very easy to, to read and understand. Um, Okay, so as I said, um, this book, James, very accessible go, and, and go do. In light of what Jesus has done at the cross, now go and do. The writer, James, is the half-brother of, uh, of Jesus. Initially, he was very, very sceptical, as I think any of us would be if our, if our sibling you know, claimed to be the Messiah, right? We'd kind of think, well, I, you know, I grew up with them, yeah? Um, and so initially very sceptical, but then... Uh, when Jesus died and resurrected, became a believer, became a fully-fledged believer and ended up dying for his faith. So this guy, you know, lived, lived with Jesus from, right from the beginning, younger brother of Jesus, and, and yet totally sceptical and yet then totally convinced of who Jesus was, so much so that he died for his faith. And this book is going to have 54 I read in that book, uh, imperatives, do this, do that. It's a very much a, a doer's book, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. I often quote that when we're talking about, you know, following up in life groups, the word sheets and so on. Let's not just be hearers on a Sunday, but doers. And that comes from this book of James, that we're not just supposed to hear the gospel, but it, it, we put his faith in action. And uh, I honestly believe that this, this book, as we, as we go through it between now and Christmas, if we really take it to heart it will dynamically affect our lives at every level. It's not a book that requires great explanation. It's very simple to read, but it requires, it's a very big asks of us. You know, it's very black and white. It will make at times for some uncomfortable reading. But I trust at the end of this, we won't be the same if we prayerfully ask the Spirit to apply here what we have learned. His real point is this, that the whole book is that real faith produces genuine works. Real faith produces genuine works. We're saved by grace alone, not by works. We're saved by that, but in light of that, real faith, it produces genuine works. Or to put it another way, a person who has really found the way genuinely walks in it. A person who has really found the way genuinely walks in it. Right, let's read. And if my bookmark's not been removed, it hasn't. Okay, James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So he's writing personally to these 12 tribes that are scattered. The, the Jews here have been, have been scattered from Jerusalem, spread all over Mesopotamia, around the Mediterranean, and Asia Minor, and into Europe. 
And uh, really because of persecution, when Stephen was persecuted, uh, the church then kind of was, was scattered. There was persecution among the church, and so they were scattered. And so James here uh, was a leader in that church in Jerusalem, and so he's writing to people that would have Christians that would have been in that church, but are now scattered in, in amongst these churches uh, and beyond. And uh, much like those Christians, the readers of this book, uh, we're scattered, right? We're, we're in the world, but this, we're not of the world, right? This isn't our, our home. The here and now isn't our home. And so this book, although it's 2,000 years ago, it, it can apply it to, to daily life right now. I say it's a, it's a do this, do that book. It can, we can very simply apply it to our lives, our daily lives on a Monday morning. It's not sort of out there and kind of theological, how do I wrap my head around that? No, it's very practical, rooted in the daily life of following Jesus. It's verse 2, let's continue. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so, first of all, the point I want to make is that James, back in verse 1, he doesn't say, consider it pure joy if you face trials, but whenever. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. So my first point is that such trials are to be a part of every believer's life. Sooner or later, we will all face trials. Peter also wrote, you know, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal, the fiery trial that has come upon you. So, so we don't expect trials, but we should expect them, right? We will encounter them. We will fall into them. It sometimes feels like that, doesn't it? When uh, into, you've kind of just fallen into, a, fallen into a trial, fallen into a problem, maybe in some respect, sometimes by your own making or sometimes just completely not, and bang, here I am. I've just fallen into this, into this, this trial, into this ordeal. But why should we consider it a joy? He says, consider it pure joy when? So we're to, we're to expect it, first point, but how can we consider it joy when we face trials? Well, I'll tell you what James isn't saying. He isn't saying, it's, don't think of it as, it's not that bad. Yeah? So when you're, when you're facing that trial, whatever it is, whatever situation you're, uh, you, you find yourself in, don't, think, don't look at it and just think, oh, well, James says consider it joy. So what he's saying is, it's not that bad. Yeah, or, or somebody else has got it a lot worse. You know, J- Jesus had it a lot worse, so it's not really that bad. Okay? He's, not ju- he's not saying that. He's not, he's not asking us to manufacture emotions. Yeah? He's not asking us to kind of cheer up. You're in a trial, yeah, but, but cheer up. You know, pull, pull your boots up, be stoic. He's not, he's not saying that. He's saying us that have joy because joy can empower and fuel us, right? Joy can empower and fuel us. But how? The answer is because if your response in times of trouble is to realize afresh, Jesus, 
I need you. I can't do this on my own. I, I need you. I'm out of my depth. I'm lost. I'm stuck. I'm hurt. I, I don't know my way out of this mess. Then it brings us closer to Jesus. Yeah? Throwing ourselves on him, throwing aside self-reliance and independence and all those things that we love to have, right? Throwing aside those things and throwing ourselves on Jesus, saying, Jesus, I haven't got it. I've come up short again. I've messed it up. I've got it wrong. I need you. There is joy in that release of throwing aside self-reliance and throwing our trust onto him. Yeah? There's a humility in it. James, in fact, in a few chapters, will say that he gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Proud is saying, I've got this. I can do this. I'm, I'm capable. I'm able. I'm strong. Whatever. Humility is saying, yeah, I, I, I haven't got this. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm broken. I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And God loves that. He loves to give grace to the humble who throw themselves onto him, saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm in a mess. Maybe it is of my own making. Maybe it's not. But I need you, and I want to come to you and throw myself on you once again. And he loves it. And in that, there is joy. Faith is its like a muscle. It grows and it strengthens as it's used. And throwing ourselves upon Jesus in those moments is an act of faith, right? It's saying, yeah, I've not got this. I, I, I can't hold this together. I can't fix this one. I can't manage my way out of this one. It requires faith to say, but I know someone who can. It requires faith. And faith is like a muscle, and when it's used, it gets stronger. And though suffering, as I said, is, is rarely brought into our lives by, by the Lord, but when it, when it, whenever, whatever the reason it is in our lives, he uses it to make us more like him. He uses our suffering to make us more like him. So we're to expect trials. We can have joy in trials. There is, but also there is no meaningless suffering. There is no meaningless trial. For the life of a believer, for the life of somebody who knows and follows Jesus, there is no meaningless suffering in your life. You might, have, you might be there by your own mistakes and sin and whatever circumstances, but there is no meaningless suffering in it. God will bring about a work of, of grace through your suffering. There is no meaningless suffering. Jesus died on the cross and suffered on the cross that we might not have to, yes, we have to suffer in this world, but, but that we have a hope and a future and eternity with him. And though we might be scattered now, much like these Christians who are reading this letter that James is writing, though we might be scattered now and this isn't our permanent home, because Jesus died on the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven, one day we should go to be with him. And so and we go to a place where there'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. But until then, we kind of we see in part. We, we're in situations, we're in this world where we see suffering and we don't fully understand it. We say, well, where is God in this situation? Maybe, maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe he doesn't care for me. But we, and that's because we just see, we're seeing in part. We don't see everything so clearly. It's why he, he goes on to say in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Because in the eye of the storm, when, you're, when, there's, when life is pressing in and, and situations are pressing in, it's hard to see where God is in it. You think, God, you've abandoned me, you've left me, you've forgotten me, you don't care about me, all these, all these lies. 
Yet if we pray and ask for wisdom, it says that God will he'll reveal himself in, the, in that. He'll reveal himself in it. Remind us of, oh yeah, I've got a future and a hope and an eternity with Jesus. Oh yeah, he, he does love me and care about me. He will see me through. We can pray and seek wisdom in those trials. And it says, God gives generously and does not find fault. Wow, does not find fault, yeah? He's not a God who, who when you're in a, in a pickle, completely of your own making, will kind of sort of say, you know, you know sometimes that maybe, um, maybe it's your experience as a, growing up in your, in your house, you know, you've got into a mess and you just have to ask your parents for, for help or, or, or you've, you've hurt yourself. And, and you get the help, but what you also get is the, the sort of, and the, this is where you went wrong. Yeah, here's the, here's the ten things you got wrong in the lead up to that and it's all your fault. Yeah, it's, it's not what God does. Because Jesus died on the cross and we get to receive his grace, we're forgiven and free. We don't get some sort of lecture when we go to him for help. Oh yeah, here's, here's, here's all the things you did wrong. He gives generously and does not find fault. He doesn't, he, he doesn't want anyone to hesitate to come to him. This morning, if you're just in the eye of the storm, can't see a way through, can't see where, where Jesus is in it all, he wants, to, he wants to reveal himself to you afresh this morning, remind you that he's still there, remind you that he is still working, remind you that he's, he's working in you and he's working in the situation, and remind you that you have a hope and a future and an eternity together with him where there's no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain, and a certain future. He wants to remind you afresh this morning. And then my last point, I want to... And it kind of touches on what I, I mentioned at the beginning about being, being planted, being rooted in the local church. James writes this, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Oh, that is brutal, isn't it? Don't expect to receive anything. It's not like you're going to receive a bit less. You shouldn't expect to receive anything. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. <clears throat> um, growing up, we used to go, um, we used to go camping, and as, when I was growing up in the church, and often go to like Bible weeks, and they're kind of like Christian festivals, uh, family all ages, and very, very influential on, on, on me growing up um, as a teenager. And as soon as I could, um, I didn't want to camp with my parents anymore. I wanted to go and camp with the guys, and so we just got a tent. And everybody would be in the church, would be putting up their tent so, so kind of carefully and thoroughly. And we'd just be like, you know, I mean, we don't, don't need all these pegs, you know. And, and we'll put a few in, sort of, you know, half a dozen, get the four corners marked out. Guy ropes, we're just going to trip over those. Let's not, not bother, with, bother with that. And do a very just basic, rough and ready, we've got this, it'll be fine. Um, and off to, off to the meetings. And then I remember distinctly coming back one evening, um, and um, it was dark, and the wind had picked up, and you get into your tent, and, and it's like, oh, there's quite a lot of wind in here now. <laughs> it's, it's blowing around quite a bit. And um, my point is that when something's not, not rooted down, it's unstable. Yeah, it blows around, it's knocked around, it's, un, it's, not, it's unpleasant. If you're trying to... What James is saying here is if you're, if you're two-minded, if you're trying to live between two worlds or, or two cultures you'll be unstable. You'll be all, all over the place, and it's a dangerous position to be in. It's like, it's essentially, it's, he's saying, if you're someone who's trying to have, have your will, 
and have God's will, you're unstable. You're, you're trying to have two things. You can't, you can't do both. Pick. You're going to be unstable, double-minded. Oh, you want my will, God's will as well. We'll see which one kind of wins the battle for today or this particular decision or this particular moment. And, and James is saying, you'll be unstable. It's dangerous and you'll receive nothing. It's a warning, right? And, and this is often the, the major cause of all sin in our lives, isn't it? It's because we don't want God's will, we want our will, yeah? There's an illustration in, in that commentary I recommended um, about apparently the, the cheapest way to catch a monkey is to, um, I don't know, I presume the commentator tested it, um, is to get like a jar with a, a fairly thin neck, put some rice inside, tie the jar to a tree, and the, put some rice inside, and the monkey wants the rice, so puts his hand inside the jar, grabs the rice, but then, then his fist won't fit through the neck of the bottle. But the monkey is too dumb to think, let go of the rice, run off and escape. So he sits there, clutching the rice, <laughs> and gets caught. Um, and, and it can be a bit like that, where we want to we grab hold of, of, of our own will or something we're just not prepared to let go of. And, and, and we, we just, like the, the stupid monkey, we just, we're stuck because we won't let go of it. And we're double-minded and, and unstable, as James here would say. Have you got the PowerPoint? Can you put the quote up? I think it's like the third slide, James. Um, I read a quote. Uh, many years ago, there was a pastor called um, Lloyd John Ogilville, I've never heard of him, who underwent the worst year of his life. His, his wife had undergone major surgeries, radiation, chemotherapy. Several of his staff members had departed. Large problems loomed, and discouragement assaulted his feelings. But he wrote this. If you can read it. The greatest discovery that I have made in the midst of all the difficulties is that I have, can have joy when I can't feel like it. It is artesian joy. When I had every reason to feel beaten, I felt joy. In spite of everything, God gave me the conviction of being loved and the certainty that nothing could separate me from him. The certainty that no matter what we're going through, nothing can separate you and me from Jesus. It was not happiness, gush, or jolliness, but a constant flow of the Spirit through me. At no time did he give me the easy confidence that everything would work out as I wanted on my timetable. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, does that sound familiar? Lord, this is what I want. X, Y, Z, here and now, right? That's often our prayers. Yet this is saying it was, At no time did God give me the confidence that everything would work out as I wanted on my timetable, but, here we go, but, that he was in charge and would give me and my family enough courage for each day. Some of us, again, that prayer is, I don't want enough courage for today, I want enough courage for life. Yeah? Enough courage for the day. Grace, joy is always the result of that. Let me read that last bit again. It was not happiness, gush, or jolliness, but a constant flow of the Spirit through me. At no time did he give me the easy confidence that everything would work out as I wanted on my timetable, but that he was in charge and would give me and my family enough courage for each day. Grace, joy is always the result of that. Folks, we can find church, sort of joy in our own trials when we feel hurt, alienated, disenfranchised, disappointed, unpopular, even when difficulty or tragedy has kind of beset us, which has no apparent connection with our, our belief or followers of Jesus, we can have joy 
in whatever we face. Such joy, it might seem irrational, but in Jesus, it's completely rational. In Jesus, it's completely rational. I was so pleased when Tim uh, opened up from the Psalms earlier. The Psalms are a wonderful way to see where you see this at work. Right? I would encourage us just to, uh, maybe you're not great with the devotions and the scriptures on a daily, daily life, fine. Try and do a psalm a day. Try and do a psalm a day. In the psalms, you see the, rawness, the, the human rawness of just feeling abandoned by God, feeling let down, enemies pressing in, and yet you see people crying out to help, putting their trust and faith in Jesus. It's very raw. Let me encourage us, try and, if nothing else, try and do a psalm a day. Real faith produces real stability. Let us not be like, um, I mean, we all know someone, or maybe we've all done it at some point in our lives, who have uh, joined a gym and never gone. Yeah? I mean, it does nothing, does it? It does nothing. Joining a gym and never going, it, it's, you might feel a little bit better about yourself, but uh, you're not, it, will, it, it will accomplish nothing. Yeah? Or going to the gym and just sitting at the bar will accomplish nothing good. Yeah? You have to actually uh, put these things into practice. And that's James's, that's James's point, really. To use James's language, you'll be double-minded. You know, if you're, if you're caught between, between two worlds, you're caught holding on to your own agendas, your own will, your own priorities, and then it's just, and God, you'll be caught between, you'll be double-minded, you'll be unstable. It's a dangerous place to be. Dear friends, there are things in this world, especially in the West, it's really not that bad, is it? You know, you look around at things that are happening around the world. Where we live is pretty, pretty comfortable, safe, right? There's a lot of good things in, around us, you know. Many, most of us are employed and uh, got food on the table and all these things. You know, we, we, we think things are pretty good in the West, right? Life is pretty good. It's not as though we're persecuted, um, if we, can put, try and, if we pursue these things, such as career or, or money or uh, whatever it is, insert, insert the blank, relationships, we pursue those things and God, we just end up being double-minded. Yeah? I'm not saying quit your job, leave your family. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying if, you, if, if we pursue these things and God's like a bit part character, then we're going to be double-minded. We're going to be unstable, as James says. And when trials come, when, when difficulties come, when suffering comes, we'll be blown around, we'll be unstable, and we'll receive nothing. It, it, so it doesn't mean that we don't have careers, friendships, money, all those, all those things. But what it means is that our heart, we're single-mindedly set on following Jesus, and the other stuff comes along for the journey. Yeah? We're single-mindedly focused on, I'm going to follow Jesus, and he's given me these things, career and money and family and relationships and, and whatever it is, but my focus is following Jesus. My, mind, my single-mindedness is following Jesus and bringing joy and glory to Jesus and being obedient to Jesus. My focus isn't on career, Monday to Friday, and then, oh, right, Sunday, right, switch, come along to church. No, no, my, my focus is on following Jesus because I don't want to be double-minded and, and unstable and I don't want to receive nothing. No, I want to, be, I want to receive all that he, Jesus has for me and I want to be stable and rooted in him. And that means one day at a time following him. One day at a time saying, my priority is following you. Yeah, I've, 
I've got the kids today, or I've got, I've got problems at work today that I've got to deal with, or uh, whatever it is, but my, my, priori- my first priority is I'm, go- I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, Lord, help me. Help me in all this other stuff I have to do today. Help me, help me be, a, be a dad. Help me be a mum. Help me be a worker, whatever we're uh, doing. But my focus is following Jesus. Let us not be double-minded, unstable, caught between two worlds, like the monkey who doesn't just want to let go of the rice. Let us not be like that. Let us be those who are focused on following Jesus. I said there'd be some difficult things in this book. It's really simple to understand, but it requires just daily, daily living in light of what Jesus has done. It doesn't, these works don't save us. We, we're saved because of what Jesus did at the cross, saved by grace alone. But if we're, if we're saved, it's going to produce actions in our lives. We're not going to be the same. Let's pray. Ed, can you uh, come back up? Should we stand? Just start playing whenever you... uh, Whenever you've got guitar or whatever, whenever you're ready. I want to pray for us and uh, just allow the, the Holy Spirit as we, we've got 10 minutes or so, um, just allow the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. And um, uh, there's really two, I don't know that it's two distinct groups, but uh, of people that I just want to pray for. And, and the first would just be if you find yourself in the eye of the storm, press, things just pressing in and you just think, I can't see I can't see the Lord in this. I think I feel like abandoned. Um, let go. I can't see how this one works out. I just want to. I want to pray that you just know afresh he's, that He's with you, in it. He's not abandoned you. He's not forgotten you. He doesn't not like you. He loves you, but He wants to remind you that He's there. Doesn't mean He's going to bring an immediate solution or uh, make it necessarily any clearer how how you chart the next few steps but he just wants you to know that he's with you in the storm and that he's working with you in the storm so Heavenly Father Lord I Lord thank you that you're that you're with us in whatever we walk through whatever we go through that you're with us that your feelings towards us don't change despite the situations we find ourselves in but you love us you're with us I just pray for those particularly feeling like in the eye of the storm just feeling God where are you Lord in this that you just remind them of your your presence your sovereignty your goodness you just draw near help us Help all of us, I pray, to throw ourselves on you when we find ourselves in those in those situations, just beyond ourselves. Just to know to stop digging and throw ourselves on you, Lord. The second group of us I'd like to pray for and is just that we might be single-mindedly, determinedly following Jesus, pursuing Jesus. so many distractions in life so many good good things good and bad that can just distract us from following you 
draw our attention away, draw our hearts away. But Lord, we say we want to be those who single-mindedly, determinedly follow you, Jesus. Day by day, live wanting your will for our lives. I pray, Lord, help us surrender those things that we're in our hearts that we just we, we cling on to that aren't from you. We want to humble ourselves and say, Lord, we need you. We want to follow you. We want to pursue you. Lord, help, I pray as a church, help us to be a people who single-mindedly follow and pursue you with all that we have. As we go through this, this letter over the, the next number of weeks, I pray would you use it to, uh, to sharpen us, to challenge us, to convict us, to change us. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.